Welcome to another episode of Chefs and Guests on the Spoon Mob podcast feed. My name's Ray. I'm your host. This is the ninth episode of these that I've done. Uh, you can find all previous eight in the feed uh, on the website. They're all under the podcast heading. If you click on Chefs and Guests, they're all listed there, corresponding number, if you need cross-reference or whatever. We've done Instagram posts too as well, so I won't go into all that right now. But this episode is with uh, Chef Garrett Talmadge, who... You know, the name probably doesn't really ring a bell to most, even probably most people who live in Columbus, but he's worked at a bunch of different restaurants. He's pretty much a lifer in the Columbus restaurant scene. Got his start when he was like 15 at like a Waffle House or 15 or 17 or something like that. Wound up working at the the top steakhouse. He wound up working at 1808 American Bistro up in Delaware. He opened a restaurant in Athens. He worked at most recently at NADA. And when we scheduled this, uh, he was actively still the executive chef at NADA here in Columbus. When we started off uh, recording, because this was recorded a couple of weeks ago, he had actually taken a job at this new restaurant uh, opening in the short north called Gala Park. He goes into it on the podcast, but there's another restaurant in Cincinnati that was the first location. This is the second location. I guess he said the first location has a little bit more of like a, a Latin American flair kind of to the menu where this is going to be closer aligned with kind of your traditional steakhouse. And that restaurant's supposed to open here in a couple of weeks. Uh, they might even be doing like a soft opening right now, but it's definitely supposed to open before the end of the month of April. So they haven't really posted too much on their Instagram feed, but it's just uh, if you just search at Gala Columbus, it'll come up. Uh, there's only two locations there. So make sure to you know subscribe. I'm sure there'll be more announcements. It's been kind of making uh, some waves with the different local publications and stuff like that, you know, because it's one of the first major openings that we're going to have this year, probably like the first major opening really since COVID vaccines have come out. I mean, you had the Bud Dairy Food Hall, but that's like a food hall. Who knows if that's going to work? And then uh, like Ray Ray's Meat and Tree open, but that's all the way in Granville. So it's not really Columbus. So this is kind of the first big, you know, big opening uh, that's going to be coming. And we get into all that, but we talk about his career, how he got started. Like I said, Columbus lifer, spent some time in Marysville, worked with a bunch of different people, you know, around Columbus too as well. So a bunch of different names, some you might recognize, some you might not too. Never went to culinary school. So he's a really, really nice guy, really well thought out guy. You could tell like everything he says, there's intent, there's purpose behind it. You know, he's pretty unfiltered too. You know, throughout the podcast, if a place that he worked was shit, he says it was shit. He's not apologetic. He's not, you know, worried about, you know, he's not trying to like ruin any relationship in the industry either. But like, if you ask him a question, he's going to give you the honest, you know, straightforward, you know, kind of raw answer. So it was really cool to like, you know, kind of experience that where he's like, yeah, we were doing this here and doing that. And that was probably a bad idea and, and stuff like that. So, and then we do all, you know, the kind of the, the standard questions and everything. But um, like I said, keep an eye on out on, you know, kind of Instagram and different publications uh, for opening information about Gallup Park that's going to be coming up here in the next couple of weeks. I thought maybe there, you know, might even been something coming out because when we recorded this, you know, trying to figure out when was the best time to release this to kind of help with some of the buzz and everything, but you didn't want to do it too soon to their opening and whatnot. So I know they're kind of targeting, you know, roughly middle of the month here, which will be coming up. So that'll be awesome to kind of go and experience once they first open. And you've probably eaten his food. If you ever ate at Kosheka Kohina, uh, which was the Mexican restaurant over in Italian village, kind of right around the corner from the market Italian village, which it's closed now. Uh, I think it was a might have been a Chris Crater restaurant and then it got put up for sale. Uh, I don't think anybody bought it. So I'm not sure what's going on with the building or anything like that. There really hasn't been any updates. 
And, you know, he worked there, he worked at Nada. So if you've ever, you know, eaten Nada within probably the last year or two, he cooked that. It's kind of weird because he's got this kind of penchant for Latin American cuisine, Mexican cuisine, but, you know, and he's, and he's cooked it, but Mexico's kind of always this place that, you know, he wants to go. He's, I don't think he's ever really been and we kind of get into that stuff too. So, but yeah, this uh, podcast about little over an hour long, a lot of good information in there, especially in the Columbus restaurant scene. If you've kind of never really paid attention or just kind of starting to, you know, this is kind of the stuff that a lot of different chefs have never really been, you know, asked uh, just about their career and stuff like that. That's just not something our media here does. And I mean, and that's, I think there's a lot of media in different cities too, that just kind of does the clickbaity kind of surface level stuff too. So I don't think that's, necessarily any fault, but that's not what we do. You know, we try and go in depth and, and find out, you know, why somebody's became a chef and, and what they like about it and different challenges that they faced and, and, you know, what they're doing now and kind of try and give background on their career. So people, when you go to this restaurant, you can understand why the menu is the way it is, why the food is the way it is, why the presentation is the way it is. You know, it all kind of ties together and we definitely want to highlight great chefs, you know, food that I've personally enjoyed, you know, so far we haven't had anybody on the podcast who's a chef. I haven't eaten their food and haven't liked it. You know, if it was, if it was a chef that, you know, I thought was super interesting, but they just made bad food, like probably wouldn't be on the podcast. Like I, that's not something I want to do. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on bad food experiences. You know, we only ever really did the one podcast where it was kind of going through some of that stuff, you know, like last summer, just kind of checking off some of those boxes and different you know, and you could have them anywhere, you know, Michelin restaurants and local restaurants, dive restaurants, doesn't really matter too. So you definitely want to highlight the people that are talented and are doing good food, great food the right way. So that's kind of what this is all about. So I'll shut up. And uh, this is the interview uh, I did with Chef Garrett Talmadge of Gallup Park. Cool. So, well, thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast. Really appreciate you making some time and being able to come on and, and chat a little bit. So you're currently over at Nada, correct? Um, my last day at Nada was yesterday. Oh, okay. Actually, yeah. Um, and I'm coming on to the team at a place called Gala Park, a new place in Short North, right next to Seesaw. Oh, yeah. They're, uh, they have one of those in Cincinnati, right? Um, they have a location in Cincinnati. Um, it's, it's loosely jointed. It's the same company. Okay. But while they're doing somewhat uh, tapas style, we are going full steakhouse, modern steakhouse. Yeah, because they're getting, I think there was like an announcement that they're getting ready to open um, pretty soon, right? Pretty soon. Um, we're hoping the beginning of uh, next month. Oh, awesome. And um, for a soft opening and then probably the middle of next month for a real true opening. Okay. Are you going to be running the kitchen there or just part of the team or? No, I'm going to be the executive chef there. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, congrats on that. Yeah. That's, that's really exciting. Yeah. I never been to the one in Cincinnati. Uh, I know uh, I uh, learned about, you know, Gallup Park, I think probably through, it was probably like an article in like Cincinnati magazine. And mm -hmm. then there were, I remember there being something that was, that they were going to open one in Columbus or another location or, you know, yeah. it was going to open. And then um, yeah, I kind of forgot about it until I saw like another article, I think like a week ago. I was like, oh yeah, that's opening. I know exactly where that is. They actually, their tentative opening date was last year. Like it like almost exactly around when the pandemic like really shut everything down. Yeah, I remember March 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, we'll put a pin in that. We'll get back to that because okay. I definitely want to hear more about that. But um, what I like to start off with is kind of going through everybody's kind of culinary career up to this point. Usually there's a bunch of different information floating out there, depending on what city that you've primarily been working in. Columbus, there's a lot less um, just because nobody really does kind of in-depth stuff. So you piece some stuff together. But how did you kind of get started in, in cooking? Are you from Columbus originally? Um, I'm from Florida, but I've lived all my life in Columbus, whether it was like a suburb outside of Columbus as a child, um, both north and south. And uh, and then I've lived in Columbus my pretty much my entire adult life. So um, yeah, love it here. Wonderful city. So when did you kind of get started with cooking? Was that something that was just kind of always around the household or was it just kind of first job that you could get? Um, so, it was mostly, it was mostly a necessity. Um, we get a little into my personal life. I grew up kind of poor, not kind of poor, like wildly poor and, um, in some trailer parks in a place called Marysville up North. And, you know, I, I was raised by a single mother as much as she could raise me really. But, you know, other things going on and then obviously having to work a lot to try to support two children. You know, it was just like, you're seven years old, you gotta, you know, make, make some food. And that started with, you know, egg sandwiches and, and whatnot, you know, still go to is the fried egg sandwich with some Tabasco on it. And then there you go. That was probably my first thing I really cooked. Slap it on some toast and you're good to go. Yeah, that's. I think that's more common like than people realize. There's, you know, a bunch of chefs um, that that's kind of how they just get started is just that was either the opportunity that was available to them or it was out of necessity. I mean, we've had a couple of people on the podcast, kind of similar situations. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know a couple of guys that, you know, and strikingly, strikingly similar kind of upbringing. But then there from that, uh, we we get into high school. I think it was like 15, 16 at most. And uh, there was a Waffle House right by my house. And I just walked in there every day for a week, kept asking for a job. I didn't really need a job. I'm not, to be honest, I'm not sure why. I just kept going in there day after day. And eventually, a uh, manager there gave me a job. I believe I was 15 and I was flipping bacon for a while. Um, but it, uh, great, great first job. I can't understate uh, or overstate how how much you really can learn at a Waffle House. Because you're doing everything, right? Like you're doing... Yeah, you're doing everything. Um, you know, it's mostly egg. It's egg cooking, which, you know, there's eight to 10 different types of eggs you can really do, like basic eggs. And, you know, you'll learn every one of them there. You know, things like they don't use nonstick pans. You know, you really have to like pay attention to what you're doing. Obviously, you know, sometimes you go to Waffle House and your your eggs are uh, shit or whatnot. Um, but I'm sure that that happens pretty often. But yeah, definitely can learn a lot and be self-sufficient, especially uh, I worked uh, in the middle of the day, which you can imagine was not, it's not a busy time for Waffle House. It's always in the morning or it's at night, right? People drunk or going out to breakfast, but during the day, but I was the only, I was the only cook there, or as they referred to them, grill operators. <laughs> Probably had that name tag somewhere. Uh, it was great. And I remember one day, still one of the hardest days I ever worked in my life. I was there in the, in the middle of the day by myself. Nothing ever goes on. Hardly I'll have like a 
few people walk in, you know, and you interact with the guest. So, because it's right there, but then you, you know how wall houses, they all have the like wraparound windows. So you can see all the way out of it. Right. And, uh, I just see the entire parking lot fill up, literally the entire parking lot at one time. And it was all one group, um, which is like 35 people. Was it just a big family or was it like a tour bus or something? Or I didn't have time to find out. I was just, let's get ready to put some food down. And, you know, the part of that was it's, it's a call system if you're familiar with those. So it was, there's no tickets. I can't see what I'm like. They don't give me tickets to read off of nothing prints out, et cetera. They do like this, a strange plating system where you put like, like a butter or something at the bottom of a plate. And that indicates, I don't know if the butter's upside down, it's, you know, no butter or I can't remember this point, you know, it's been. Yeah. Each thing, depending on how it's like situated or turned, like if the knife's turned this way, it means, you know, well done pork chop or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, so no tickets or anything for, for 35 people and they, you know, they want all, everything at the same time by yourself. It was fun though. It was good. So that's really it on Waffle House. And, uh, from there, I, I'm, I moved in with some of my friends just, uh, just North of Bexley. I was like 17 and moved out of the house. I had a job before that, but that was kind of, you know, an intermediate thing, whatever. And um, so I moved to Bexley. And from there, I just, um, I don't know why, maybe I saw something on Craigslist or something of the sort, but I called up the top, you know, classic steakhouse. Yeah. Kind of old school, like gangster era, like gangster era, kind of like red boots, piano player, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. So I called him up. I came in for an interview and Denver gave me a job when I was like 17 at that point. Um, I have no idea why. <laughs> um, yeah, my, my resume was Waffle House and uh, we went in there and uh, banged it out. I'm glad that he gave me that opportunity. But uh, I don't, if I didn't get that, I don't know if I'd be right here now. I mean, I learned a lot from that, but then I also realized that I was, pretty good at, uh, at cooking. Yes, but not necessarily, but line cooking at that point, you know, I was a, I was a very good line cook even at that point, but, you know, being a chef and, and actually cooking is a whole different story, you know? So I worked on, on a uh, garmage when I first started, you know, I was just making salad, crab cocktail, shrimp cocktail, you know, classic, uh, steakhouse kind of things. Eventually one day the, the, the saute guy just never showed up and it was like, okay, Garrett, you're on saute, buddy. It was, uh, and that was a hell of a, uh, of a station. I've been through, you know, a million different stations and configurations of whatever, but that was a, that was a beast of one. What made it so difficult? You're, um, you're running these, uh, fryers. Um, you're taking care of your sides of like, you know, sauteed spinach, home fries, like a, a bunch of these different sides, making sure these uh, baked potatoes are right because we have them on a, a double boiler and, you know, other things like whatever the, the fish of the day was in the veg of the day, like, uh, like whether it was walleye or rainbow trout or whatever. And then we had a few filet medallions, apois and Diane style. Uh, what else? Back then we had a chicken piccata. 
it was like a whole, it was an amalgam of a station. It was like a, a few different things rolled into one. So that way there was really only a broiler saute station and then the, the line expo, uh, not like the expo on the other side, but, and then the middle guy really did nothing but, but plate. So, you know, it was all like, if the broiler wasn't doing steaks and a few other things, it was all on saute. I remember these guys did not, did not think anything of me because it's just like, oh, Denver brought out a new Garmage guy and we'll see how long this dude lasts because that was the, that was the thing. A lot, a lot of, De- uh, a, I like Denver a lot, but um, let's say he hired some people. Uh, he's a little, he's a little crazy guy. Sometimes he hires people just to see them, watch them crash and burn. <laughs> Um, so, you know, that's probably the guy, the 17 year old guy from Waffle House. Let's see how, how hard this guy at that station. And then eventually, you know, moved up to, to saute. But I remember the first day, the first, uh, like weekend we went through the expo guy and his name was Josh, Josh Van Biver. He since moved. He looked at me and said, you know, Garrett, you, uh, you did a hundred times better than we expected you to ever since then. And they didn't, they didn't really even know how young I was at the point. No one, no one asked. You know, and I've always looked a bit older than I am. And uh, since then, they condescendingly called me the prodigy. Very, um, because, you know, these guys are probably in in their 30s at this point, you know, like life or professional line cooks, you know. uh, I'm a 17-year-old guy and these things. I didn't think I was hot shit, but they thought I was hot shit and they hated it. (laughs) You know? Things have since changed. You know, back then I was, I think I was cooking at that job for $10 an hour. Boston, my ass. How long were you, how long were you there at the top? Um, for, for a few years, man, it's kind of, it's blurry uh, after that. Cause you, you never went to culinary school, right? No, it was always on hands. Yeah. Yep. Since I was 15, you know, um, obviously uh, but I've had a whole different lot, a lot of different experiences. I've never worked like fast food or anything like that. You know, a whole lot of different experiences and different styles of food have gotten me, you know, where I am mostly. Um, from there, I hopped around to, so in between the Waffle House and, and the top, I briefly, I worked for an O'Charlie's for like, you know, a little for a year or something. And, um, you know, I'm a kid at the time and at the time they offered me like, I don't know, like $13 an hour. And I was like, yeah, let's go get some more fucking booze money for my, with my friends, you know? So I did that for a little while. Then eventually, um, so I moved back to Marysville and, um, I cooked at a restaurant called Hinkley's for a while. If you're familiar at all. Not too much with the Marysville area. It used to be a steakhouse called Doc Henderson's. It's in a really beautiful old building. You know, Marysville's a, a shithole town. But, um, you know, for what it's worth, Hinkley was, was a, a pretty good restaurant. Uh, all, all things said and done, really. Um, it was really surprising. Was it kind of like the place to, to be, like kind of like the place to go? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it hasn't lasted long because people, you know, the people out there, it's just not their type of, it's not their type of thing. It was like kind of an, like new American, a little eclectic. It was beautiful inside and uh, the chefs there, you know, uh, Aaron Fisher and the sous chef Nathan, you know, they could really, they could cook. He, Aaron was the chef at Two G's for an extended period of time, came over there, had like more, you know, creative control and 
they did some fun things. Definitely learned some things there. Yeah, but just for the city, it's not like I said, since closed. Yeah, it just didn't fit. So they, what they were trying to do is Mary School's um, not up near Delaware, but you know somewhere around like you know thirty. Yeah, it's a little farther north. Little, it's north. It's outside of Columbus, you know. And um, I think they were seeing some success with like you know like what eighteen oh eight does, and you know Josh with you know. Veritas was up in Delaware at the time, that kind of thing. Not on that level, but more akin to 1808. So from there, I went to I went to 1808 as a line cook. Oh, okay. Back in, I don't know. I must have been I must have been 20 at the time, or maybe no, not even 21. Okay. But yeah, went to 1808 um, for a while. Worked under obviously Josh. But the uh, the executive chef at the time, his name's Austin Adler. Yeah, Austin, and then uh, Nate Nathan Hall was the sous chef at the time. I'm sure, you know some of these guys' names. Yeah, I think Nathan's over at Zaftig. Maybe uh, I'm trying to remember. No. Or no, yeah. uh, Nate was the the exec. I guess you'd say chef de cuisine under John Jonathan Sawyer at Seesaw. That's right. Yeah, uh, the name, you know. That all happened. The partner, executive chef. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what happened there. Uh, there's a lot of financial issues on Sawyer's end, and that's why like everything closed, and then they just kind of diluted the partnership from there. Yeah. Since then, uh, he, he's gone off and you know done some other things. I'm not exactly sure, but you know, really talented guy, Austin. Really talented guy. You know, taught me a whole lot. Um, everyone who's been through there is like a, a very high standard guy austin's gone off to maple and ash in chicago he's you know doing a whole lot of stuff i just saw him opening in some restaurants in in dallas and from there 1808 you know i I worked uh for not too long only a few months actually and then i was offered another job at eight state bistro if you are familiar at all no that i don't recognize that name Place in Westerville. Okay. It did not last very long. The executive chef was Josh Weist. If you know him, he's of, I believe. I Yeah, I'm trying to think where he's at. Because um, he does. In German Village. Um, what is it? Uh, fourth, is it Fourth Street? No, it's. Um, oh, <laughs> I can't believe I can't remember this off the top of my head. Um, South Village Grill, right? South Village Grill. That's it. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, you know, be what it will, you know, hothead line cook and, you know, whatever. It, it didn't last very long there. Um, you know, everyone has these stories. But from there, we went to, um, I was brought on as a kitchen manager at an Aladdin's Eatery, if you're familiar. Yeah. You know, I've had a lot of uh, at steakhouse, some like new American um, experience. And then here I'm just thrown into, well, now let's figure out some Lebanese food, you know, which to be honest, uh, the management in in that company, at least down here, was not very great. You, you always hear stories that, um, you know, they're based out of Cleveland, that their, their management up there is was wonderful. But just an example, I, I think we had two different district managers and three different general managers within like six months of, of working there. So like management was just all over the place. 
So with never cooking that style of food before, like, was it just kind of learn on the fly, like figure it out or? Yeah. And, you know, just learn from everyone around you. And, you know, since I, I never went, I never went to school, it's, that's what I've always done was just learn on the fly, learn from everyone around you, take whatever you just take info from, from everyone, take something from everyone you work with, whether it's right or wrong, you know, um, you'll figure out what, what's wrong eventually, you know, quote unquote wrong. There really is no right or wrong. There's a pretty good idea of, um, yeah. So the guy named, uh, guy named Chencho, just a super hot, hardworking dude. I wish I, I wish he worked for me. He was just a, just a wonderful dude to be around, ready to help you, ready to learn. Um, he just, you know, showed me the, showed me the ropes over there. And it, it, it does teach you a lot of good, um, a lot of good things, uh, like, and everything over there was, is extremely, you know, fresh, um, say what you will, you know, it's just it, nothing is held on to for very long. You know, I learned a lot of things like how to really make hummus, making form the moss or kibbe or falafel, all, all sorts of these different things to bully some really cool things that, uh, and it was a great experience because, you know, I can take a little bit of those, those ideas and implement them in other areas. That was a, it was definitely a good um, experience that way. And then you got my foot in the door and um, like in the management roles, those kinds of things. From there, I went to be, took a significant pay cut um, to be the sous chef at Prohibition and Powell. Oh, okay. What made you want to go there? Um, it, it Just the the insane upper management at Aladdin's and um, chronically understaffed and that, you know, that kind of thing. They weren't insane. It's just, you know, there was too much, there was so much turnover. There was so much, it was just, uh, every day was chaos, really. Yeah. I was just looking for something that was a little more. Yeah. Just something like a little bit more reliable. Like you can walk in for your shift and you're, and you just kind of know what to expect kind of thing yeah it's not that like chaotic chaotic in like the sense of like you know having to work a hard shift or like you know you're really busy it's just chaos in the sense of i don't know who's gonna be here today or like who knows like yeah somewhat anyways a little bit that is good um you know a lot of that is really good uh but that didn't that didn't bother me so much when i was a a younger guy from there yeah i went to the sous chef at prohibition the chef was there it was Matt Langstaff. Um, his dad, his father, Charles Langstaff, has been a chef around the area for well, a thousand years now. Kind of an old school guy, but definitely uh, the guy could definitely cook too. So we definitely, you know, learned some things there. And uh, Elton, the owner there, they were just a, a great, it was a great place to work. You know, everyone there was very, it's like a family. And, you know, they're still hanging on nowadays even too i think they're probably coming right around with the pandemic kind of waning a bit yeah so I, from there i worked there for a, a few years learned what i could and then i was offered my first executive chef position in athens ohio <laughs> of all places yeah that was at uh, the corner on union right yeah the corner on union um that was a wild ride it was like late 2017, I think, roughly, something like that. Somewhere around there, maybe 2016. Somewhere in there, but a few years ago, basically. Yeah, no, no, yeah, I think it, somewhere around 2016, I think. 
Um, cause we just had my, uh, my first child, my daughter, she's like four years old now. Um, she'll be five actually this year. So yeah, it definitely was in 2016. How did that all kind of come around? You know what? It just, I don't, you know, I just keep my, my ear to the ground with, with, with opportunities, you know, whatnot. I just, I saw it pop up one day. I just, I threw my resume in there and, um, there was a, a lot of, a lot of guys they sent that because in Athens, you can't just send out uh, an ad in Athens because there's just such a limited pool. There's not very many, you know, chefs down there. There's one chef, I think of her name is Becky, um, Becky Clark, I believe. Yeah. Becky Clark, who is an absolute stud of a chef. And she, um, she owns a, a company called Pork and Pickles, if you're familiar at all. If you're not, she does like whole butchery making sausages, um, does, you know, pickling. And uh, I believe she runs a kitchen at uh, a brewery called Little Fish in Athens. She's just really wildly, very talented, very good. But like, yeah, let's get back on the boat there. Where are we going? So you're at the the corner on Union. You're helping open that Apparently it was a wild situation. Yeah. So they, the, the ownership there owned a, a college bar called the pigskin. Right. And they wanted to foray into, I mean, for the area, it's just, it was absolutely way beyond fine for them, you know, fine dining. Um, but, you know, it was uh, things akin to like, you know, that new, that upscale new American is probably what I would say, you know, eclectic, taking flavors from all over, um, not necessarily any one style of food and especially there. So I just, you know, I went all over, all over the map. Yeah, it was like a, I think, wasn't it like a WG Grinders before that, like a, or a German bar and restaurant or something? Oh, man. So <laughs> the the location there is absolutely abysmal pretty much if you want your restaurant to shut down you just sign yourself up there um, because you'll be out of business in two years and something else will come in and they'll be out of business in two years Athens is a cool place and it's possible it could have worked just if you know you put it in a, a little bit of a different location it needs to be right downtown I don't know if you've ever been to Athens Long time ago, back when I was in like college, but yeah, not recently. Yeah, if you put it square in the downtown, and that location was not off of downtown, but if you go like even a little bit outside of that, no one's going down there. You know what I'm saying? So is that the main issue that kind of plagued it? Was just no foot traffic kind of thing? That was the main issue. And then obviously I was very inexperienced, super green as, as a chef. And, you know, those learning experiences, I'm sure any chef would tell you, those learning experiences are like, are crucial um, to your success. You know, I failed tons of times and, you know, that's how I've got here. Um, and, and through that, so there's a lot of inexperience on my end. There's a lot of inexperience on their end in managing this kind of restaurant kind of concept. Um, and by no means was it like spectacular or spectacular for Athens, but to play stuff here, it was, it was nothing. So we were going through the restaurants before, you know, anything is, is, uh, worked out and they're saying, okay, this, this is going here. We're thinking we're have a server side stand right here. And then we're going to have, this is just an example of like some 
the thought process of them that like wasn't like they just hadn't had experience in like a nicer nicer restaurants is that in out in the open in the dining room they were planning on having like a soda machine right and it's not something you really think about until like uh, go uh, go imagine you're sitting in Veritas and they're not gonna you're not gonna see you're not gonna see a soda machine you know it's not like we were trying to be that and we were by no means ever gonna get to that level down there or whatnot but you know that's just an example like you're not gonna see those kinds of things you're not going to you're not gonna they're not gonna be guest facing because it's gonna take away from the guest experience even if they don't think about it but especially somebody who goes out to, you know, these kinds of restaurants um, all the time, it's going to be like, it's going to stick out like a, like a sore thumb. They were like, oh, we never even really, really thought about that, you know? And we kind of went forward with that. So, but in, during the interview process, I remember there's tons, I had a few, quite a few interviews with them. There was a long process actually. And then I, I came down and cooked for them once. And then it was just game over for that point. And <laughs> Uh, I know I, I beat out a lot of guys for that. Were they better off for it? I don't know. Were they, I could I could cook really well. I know that. But at that point, I uh, really didn't know much about managing a kitchen, let alone a restaurant, as, as much as, you know, one would. From there, the uh, the restaurant was just, yeah, at first it was it was doing okay. Then when when the summer hit, it was just abysmal down there. So the 90... Yeah, 90% of it is college kids or like the college staff and they'll go all go on vacation. And then obviously most of those college kids go back to wherever they, their family lives, you know, for that amount of time. So it's just completely dead. And um, yeah, eventually they, we separated ways and they, they just honestly, between multiple factors and then just, they could not compensate for you know a salary because they just would not be able to they're just bleeding money so get rid of the thing that costs the most and um you know from there we moved back up to columbus for a while we have two kids at this point me and aubrey my uh, fiance we just you know spend some time with family for a few months keep looking around keep looking around keep looking around and then um uh, i saw Josh was looking for an executive chef at 1808. And um, I just threw my resume in there probably a few times. I never really, I didn't hear back from him really. And then I just came in a few times. I just like, where is it? Where is he at? And let, let me, you know, here's my resume. Let me talk to him. Until recently, that's the kind of guy I've been. I'm just like, let me, just let me talk to you. and let me cook for you. Eventually, I got in there. He, he never really gave me the the full exec title or whatnot, but you know, I was uh, running the kitchen there with a guy who's still there as probably like the the executive sous chef or something. Um, his name's Michael Scott. Good guy, good cook. That there was also somewhat of a of a short stint. I learned, you know, even in these brief moments, you know, as a cook at three months there, and then three months we just uh, we never really saw eye to eye on a on a couple of things and just moved on from there. You know, obviously a very, very talented chef and um, entrepreneur, but we just, you know, it didn't, didn't fit very well from there. We took a little more time. And then I was reaching out to a friend of mine named Hans, Hans Baggard. I don't know if you, you know him. He's a, 
he's on the bar side of things. Wildly talented bartender. I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't, I don't want to say like the guy makes drinks really well, you know, <laughs> makes some really, really good drinks. From there, he said, well, I, I, I didn't know at the time he was the general manager at uh, Kosecha. My natural cooking style, there's things I, he, he was also the bar manager at, um, at Prohibition. And then funnily enough, he was also a bartender at the top. I was a cook while he was a bartender. And then I was the sous chef when he was the bar manager. And then eventually I came on board to be the executive chef at Kosecha, you know, which was just a natural fit because um, you know, I was getting sidetracked. But my natural like uh, cooking palate is is really towards that kind of Latin, you know, Latin flavors um, without any kind of like uh, learning those types of food. It was just like, if I'm just, going to cook what I call it cooking from the wrist. If I'm just going to just make something, you know, it, it lends to that kind of, that kind of power. Was that like on purpose or was that just kind of based on all your experience? Like that just kind of was the cuisine that you gravitated towards the most it was kind of like the Latin American. Um, no, it, it would, it never was on purpose. It just kind of, it just was, it was a very natural thing. I don't know exactly what that, you know, that lends to, there wasn't any kind of experience in my life that was like, oh man, Mexican food is, is it for me? It's just that whenever I, um, I was, I just always loved that, you know, those flavors and, um, those ingredients, you know, like dried chiles, whatever, whatever it might be, you know, there's thousands of them. And yeah, my, my natural path, like cooking, if, if I were just to cook, it just wouldn't come out, you know? that kind of way you know and i never really had one true you guys have like a lot of cooking styles like you know a chef might just do italian for a long time or a guy might just do steakhouse or might just do mexican or whatever and by this point you know i've worked in steakhouses new american i did lebanese food for a while i did i just took little bits and pieces from all that and that kind of, that really was my style and still really is my style. And uh, Han just knew that I could, uh, that I could really fucking cook and from being the sous chef. Cause um, at times on uh, just, you know, whatever it might be Sundays, I would just, I would just love to cook things that weren't necessarily on the menu, just, you know, whatever my heart desired. And I just, I would, and I would for them all the time. So they kind of had those those experiences. So when you moved over to Kosheka, I think Silas was, I think originally the opening chef and then you kind of replaced him, right? Uh, there was an intermediate um, chef, an interim chef, if you would. Uh, his name was uh, Felix. Okay. Um, I don't know too much about the guy. Uh, I know there was a couple of people. I just never knew that you were there. Cause I remember we went there like, you know, kind of roughly after it first opened, mm-hmm. we've been there a decent amount, really liked it. And then, um, I think it's actually going to be like, probably after you left, it was open for a little while longer, I think. Right. Just, just a little bit like me, maybe, maybe three months. And it's, ba- yeah, it's basically once you left and right before it closed, we went back like once and none of the food tasted at all the same. Okay. It was really wild. It was just like the, the even like the chips and salsa, you were just like, this is completely different from mm-hmm. every other experience we've ever had here. Uh, and then obviously it closed shortly after and now it's up for sale. Um, but no, that, that's really interesting. So that's, 
I'm like working backwards. I'm like, oh, I have eaten your food at Kosheka too. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much half, half the ten, chef tenure there was was Silas, and then half the tenure was was myself. Um, and like maybe a few months in between was Felix, and then afterwards was just you know the restaurant never really did very well. And one thing is Mexicans is super super hard to do to do very well, not just in the food, but as a restaurant. Um, there's a lot that goes into, you know, because they always had an identity crisis of like, are we a Mexican kind of tapas? Are we like really high end, high scale, you know, all a, a, a Rick Bayless restaurant or like in Enrique Olvera, like, are we, are we doing that? Or are we just trying to do tacos really well? And that's always like a problem, an issue that, um, that ownership had that was wrestling with in, in their mind or the guest had they didn't know exactly they didn't know exactly how to experience the restaurant the right way because we were trying to do two different things at the same time if that makes sense you know wrestling with small plates and then like or we just serve tacos you know yeah a good portion of the menu was was tacos but then you're in this kind of this building that's really almost feels more for kind of something upscale where it's like, you know, you get kind of like this old brick, you know, I don't know if it was a church at one point, it kind of looks like it, you know. It used to be a, a milk barn. Yeah, the beautiful, beautiful building, but also the location was somewhat of a problem too. It was a wonderful building and the Ital- Italian village is great, but you're on a one way up, you're going up fourth street. Um, you're on a one way and it's all the way back in this corner here. And so like, as soon as you go by it, you don't even see that. You see the buildings that are in front of it, like even like Drunch and what other, but you can easily miss that building going by it, even though it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So we really learned a lot. And so, so that experience was, again, is learning a lot from the, the people around me, obviously doing my own studying, my own testing of things, but just like really learning from these people that are, you know, cooking this food every day. Like uh, one of our prep cooks, Elena, you know, in making tortillas, you know, like really like watch what they're doing and learn what they're doing and then see how we can improve upon. That's pretty much been the the story of my, my culinary career was like, I've always had, I don't want to sound like condescending, but I've always had like a natural sense of cooking, right? Like what feels right? Like what temperature should I do this at? Or like, why am I gonna I'm gonna cook this fish unilaterally only on one side with the skin or am I gonna put it in I'm gonna put it in the oven am I gonna whatever it might be like a natural sense for those kinds of techniques but um you know learning these other things from people and then seeing how how we can improve upon them um like things like them teaching me tortillas and tamales and then taking really good you know technique and uh, ideas about food and in you know improving on those things so then after kasheka did you was that natural progression to nada or was there a stop in between so so kosecha um if i'm entirely frank you know there was a split up there because the restaurant hadn't been you know doing very well monetarily and i've always i was always very uh i was always good at the cooking portion of it the cooking portion of it is not you know that's the the side you love well, that a chef should love, you know, that um, it's the, really the enjoying the creation of the food, you know. And then there's the other stuff that is just absolutely necessary is like 
you're still managing a business. And those are the things that those are, this is wildly important. It's just equally is important or even, even more so depending on what type of restaurant you're doing. Cause you know, people go out to eat at wherever all the time and it's, it's not great food, but they know how to package something or they know how to, you know, really manage a restaurant. Tons of, of cooking experience and, you know, being a really good cook, but then, uh, you know, what a chef in, encompasses is, you know, a lot of business savvy. Yeah. Food costs and following up on missed deliveries and hiring and P&Ls and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, you just, you go all the way down, all the way down the line and, um, you know, until you have somebody teach you those things or do those things, just like everything else, just like cooking, how are you going to know them? So that was one of my biggest, biggest flaws there was, you know, those kinds of things. And then using uh, systems, systems and standards are your friend, no matter what. It might seem like it takes longer time to, you know, go through um, a checklist of whatever it might be, but instead of just doing stuff in your head, those systems and standards, you know, really help you get you where you want to go. So, you know, there was a split there um, at Cosecha. And from there, went to NADA. And NADA's been a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful experience. An exceptionally good company to me and my family. It's fun. They take care of people really well and, and know every, pretty much every aspect. But when I first got in there, man, it was, uh, I was going from Mexican food that we were doing you know, at this level down to Mexican food that we were doing, it wasn't even really, it was like, you know, it was super Americanized and whatnot. And it's not like the, at Cosecha, we didn't do, you know, some Americanized things like some, it was more just like modern, you know, with cooking in mind, not just like smother everything in cheese, Mexican, you know. Kind of Tex-Mex style kind of. Yeah. And so I had not a real, the food that I came into there, was you know was kind of like that i remember that when i came into so the the corporate um the culinary director um his name's john john roland jonathan roland super super crazy high standard kind of guy i learned a lot from him but when i came in there the um first time he just wanted me to eat and then send him an email of my notes of what i thought of everything And I never had been in there before. And to be honest, it was just atrocious almost. It was really bad um, from everything. And I was being super hypercritical about it. And the only thing that I I liked there, man, the the churros that they did were just absolutely just perfect. Like the miles ahead of the churros we did at Cosecha, if I'm being honest, like they were just much, much better. But that was it. Otherwise, it was, uh, you know, the drinks were pretty average and the food was not so great. But I don't want to just completely rag on that. They, um, since John's come on there, you know, they're definitely going in a different direction. Columbus is going to be the last restaurant to really make the transition to a different style. Um, but they'll be doing it very soon. And definitely food worth eating. I don't think it was on the, the same level of what we were doing at Cosecha, but definitely far superior yeah they're going through like a bit of a rebranding because they have you know a couple guys and down in cincinnati i think was the first like they renovated the entire Mm -hmm. building and then 
um, Johnny Curio came on and yeah. he's got background in Mexican food and cooked all over Mexico. So like he used like helping redo like the menu. And then I think it's getting rolled out, but from like all the pictures and stuff, I mean, I've eaten at the Cincinnati one and they weren't, I don't think fully done rebranding kind of the menu, but there's definitely, I would say it's more authentic and also more elevated than what it first was. It definitely more elevated. Whereas not, I was just like, let's sling out these whatever tacos they are. But, and then, yeah, and throughout the company, it's just, uh, there's five different locations of Nada's and every every chef that works in the locations, they're just all studs, like really super high level guys, which is surprising, you know, uh, it was anyways, um, especially going into the new concept, it's definitely more, but like, it, it was just strange because you have all these like really high level guys who can really cook in like a really good chefs all, all around. And it was just the, the level of talent did not match up with the level of what the restaurants were at a, at a portion of time. And obviously they're trying to bring that up there, which is a good reason why. But it, so what I was saying is like the food was not, I was not in love with the food at all, but it was not, you know, these are some like, uh, those tough lessons that you just kind of have to learn. Sometimes we learned, we being I learned about running a business to the penny. You know, we just went over every single week, went over what we spent in every single way. And it's not from a, it wasn't from a corporate kind of like, like we need, we're trying to, obviously they're trying to maximize their money, but it wasn't really from a money standpoint. It was just like, the people who run these restaurants are really masters of their own domain. They're, they know everything is tight. And we did inventory weekly, just like tons of uh, daily disciplines, you know, learned uh, a lot of disciplines from John. And he's, I mean, still through the entire company, but like, you know, disciplines will take you a whole lot longer than, than any amount Yeah, it sounds like you kind of got the, the management training there, essentially. Yeah, some uh, high-end management training. What I desperately needed was um, was some of that. Did, when you were, you know, because I know they have a pretty, or at least they did have a, like a pretty standard menu, you know, I, I think at across the locations. Was there like a little section of the menu where like you could experiment a little bit and just kind of, you know, this is a special or, or was it all pretty much like, this is the menu we got, like kind of stick to this? Yeah, that's 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 pretty much uh, what it was, and you know, I could have came in there immediately and like made made the food better, but you know, recipe adherence was extremely important. So there was no portion of that bitter, you know, bittersweet pill. But so we had to, you know, kind of work through that. It wasn't, you know, it's not something you you love to do, but the discipline of it was is you know really really important. And then, so how did the the opportunity um, with Gallup Park come about? Because, you know, you're cooking at Nada, you're running the kitchen there. They just uh, reached out to me, whether I had my my resume on Indeed or, you know, something like that. Like my resume is just, you know, out there. And they reached out to me, um, came in and talked with them. Adam Solomon is the director of operations for the company. Just been talking with him a lot. And, um, yeah, I just, I think it was a good fit of people. I really like them. You know, I came in and I cooked for them 
they loved it. They fell in love with it and then um, sent me an offer letter. And then here we are. And then it brings me back to, you know, I'm doing a modern steakhouse now. And at 17, when I was, you know, cooking at the top, you know, brings you, brings you back around in, in those ways. And, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of things you can change in whatever food it might be. So there's obviously going to be a lot of my, my touch in it. But then there's, you know, there's some portion of steakhouse that you just like, you don't mess with you just don't mess with classics too much. Right. And then there's some honor and respect in that, but then there's a lot, you know, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of technique and, and law that goes into like hotel broiler cooking, um, like steaks, if you're familiar with that at all, you know, there's a lot of different types of, there's a, but like real true steakhouses, you're going to have a hotel broiler, like a, a large, it's up to 1600, 2000 degree broiler. So not like a regular salamander. It's, this is a, this is a large, large unit. And, um, it takes a lot of skill to really use one of those, um, very well. So going backwards just for a second. So when you're doing like these interviews and you're cooking for people, is it, are they telling you like, all right, cook us, you know, uh, a meat dish, a chicken dish, a fish dish, or is it just kind of, you get to cook whatever you want. And if you're cooking whatever you want, do you have like a go-to or you just kind of feel it out? Yeah, I just feel it out. Um, and that's like, that's one of my, my strongest suits is just, it's just cooking. I'm uh, like I said earlier, I refer to it as cooking from the wrist. And I just kind of just go like, what do you have? Give it to me. Let's go is my, my preferred method because I, I can, I can overthink things sometimes, or like if I'm thinking of a dish, I might take a little longer than maybe some people, but if I just have these things in, in front of me to actually, like, if I just do it, that's like one of my calling cards, I guess you would say. So yeah, I did, I did go around to a few different places and, um, most, most of the time it's a lot like that, especially if you're, you know, if I have like a week to prepare, it'd be different. I'm um, do some things different. A lot of these just like, okay, what days can, you know, I'm, I'm managing a, a restaurant right now. How can I fit this into my schedule? Where can I fit it in? Um, yeah. So it's just, uh, there's no really go-to items. It's just, what do we have to work with? And then, you know, depending, we'll, we'll find some, or I can actually, you know, curate something for somebody. So with uh, the Gallup Park menu, obviously there's, you know, a part that's going to be fairly, probably, as you said, like traditional, but is there something that you're looking like forward, like to putting on the menu or is there something that you're really excited about or, or maybe you haven't even gotten that far with, with kind of stuff yet? So we, we have like we have bare bones of what the, what the menu is. And uh, I've come into some of that. Um, of what the, with the ideas of what they think the menu will be, but then I'm going to have to put my, my touches on those things. And then maybe some of my, like, I guess, signature items or, or thing, things like that nature. And then, so this, this iteration of the menu, especially going from, you know, the beginning is, you know, a pretty big collaboration, but would they had some, these bones in mind, like a, a bone, a skeleton of a, uh, of a menu and then definitely going forward, it's going to be a lot more what I do, you know? Uh, is there any like sort of particular methods that like you use for inspiration? Is it something like, do you see something on Instagram and you're like, oh, I could do that or or that part of that dish is interesting. Let me file that away for later when I'm creating. Or is it just kind of, you just rely upon just stuff that you've done in the past and just kind of feel it? 
stuff I've done in the past, um, things that I, you know, like I said, I, just, I like to, I like to cook on the fly and just like whatever, whatever comes out. And then, you know, I've done this, uh, there's a Mexican sauce. It's called a, a pipion. It's kind of like a mole, but, um, not exactly. I do a, a pipion verde, which entails quite a lot of things, but, you know, every time I cook it, it, I have a base recipe for it somewhere that I've like, I just made it once and I jotted down what I made, but you know, I change it just a little bit, you know, every time. And that's kind of just kind of how I, I do things, you know, as, but the thing that I learned, you know, is that we definitely need, you need to have standardized, standardized recipes and those kinds of things throughout your restaurant. But, you know, just my natural cooking is just like, let's just, what do we have? And let's, let's put it together. I'll think of a different technique or a different thing that I might want to do with it, you know, this time around or whatever it, it may be. But no, I don't normally like go search out for inspiration. I do a little bit, um, but I also don't want to, um, I don't want to copy people too much. So I, I try to limit that a bit, but obviously you need to learn from those, the the standard setters in, in the world. So it's, it's a mixture of, uh, of those things. You don't want to do too much, but you don't want to do too little in, in those, uh, those regards. So I got, uh, eight more questions for you. Like I say, kind of ask these to, to everybody here. Um, who would you say is the biggest influence on your cooking career thus far? The biggest influence on my cooking career. I, I, I probably couldn't say one person and it's not, it's definitely not like, uh, I don't know, quote unquote celebrity chef or like a well, um, not saying these guys aren't well known, but you know, it's pretty much been every chef I've ever worked under, you know, because those are the reasons why, you know, I know how to make fucking whipped cream or, you know, make an aioli. I never went to culinary school and um, I've done my own research and, and studying but, you know, uh, the bulk of it is, you know, hands-on learning from these, from these chefs. So, you know, you go down the list, whether it's Josh, Austin, Nathan, Aaron, but uh, maybe the top of the list might be, might be Denver from the top, just because, you know, I was such a, a young age and, you know, I learned how to cook a piece of fish there, you know, those kinds of things. The, I learned how to what the fuck do I do with mussels or like, Oh, these scallops, you have to here look at them. We got to rinse them off first. And then we have this abductor muscle. You make sure you take these off. Otherwise they're going to be chewy as fuck. You know, these kinds of things, those like really some of the rudimentary things, you know, that's really what I, I've learned from all these guys pretty much. And that's, uh, I wouldn't have like one soul. Like I looked up to this person the most though, you know, uh, what's the one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without? Spoon. Spoon? Yeah, spoon. Definitely. Well, I mean, are we considering like towels and stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, anything that you can find in a kitchen, just it can't be the knife. Because I mean, obviously. It's probably going to be a towel, towel or a spoon. Literally, I'll go around. I don't know where I'll be. I'll be somewhere and like I'll have, I just have towels on my shoulder like all the time. Just that's my spot is on the shoulder. Sometimes I'll turn around and will fall off my shoulder because I have I put four up there or something on accident, you know, or I'll be, you know, at, I don't know, I'm at the fucking park with my kids and somehow I have a towel on my shoulder that, like, 
it just, yeah, I would probably say a towel and then um, spoons. You know, you can do anything with spoon, really. What's uh, the one restaurant in Columbus that you'd recommend that isn't your own? So like the scenario I usually give is, you know, friend of yours is uh, flying through Columbus, layover, you know, maintenance on the plane, not going to get out till the morning. Like they reach out to you. Hey, like, you know, I'm going to come eat. Oh, you know, we're closed, but you should go here. I probably have three. I'd want to do three. Okay. There's a restaurant off Henderson Road in Upper Arlington. It's called Restaurant Sia. That's restaurant and it's S-I-L-L-A. I don't know what their hours are right now, but it's a Japanese Korean restaurant. It's in the, it's in a back alley. You'd miss it if you don't like, you, you see the sign of it from the road, but then you don't see the building anywhere and it's going to a back alley. And uh, before the pandemic, anyways, they were always open real late, but just really good food and, you know, super, super underrated. Love, love the place. You should definitely go there if you if you have. Yeah, I've never heard of it, so yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Looking, it, it's very unassuming, and then you go through the, the, the back alley. Just getting there is kind of fun, and yeah, definitely a very. I, I love it. You know, it might be a little like there might be some nostalgia that plays into that kind of thing, but it's um, definitely I would recommend that. Two, I mean, I would recommend Veritas. Pretty much any time I've ever gone in there barring one occasion it's just been fantastic you know every time you, you bite into something i'm just like it brings a smile to your face or like i wasn't expecting to eat that i didn't expect that to be that good those kinds of things you know and lastly probably uh pistachio vera pistachio vera is just like they're so clean they're so on point it, everything is perfect super just super high quality products and like they're just like you know, wonderful things to eat depends on what if you're if they're asking me what what kind of experience do you want do you want like the home homey felt like um you know korean food than that if you want like this cafe you know some sweet bites or pastries then there i'd also throw fox in the snow in there too you know that's it's wonderful and then if you want like probably the best i would probably say probably the best dining experience in columbus is, is probably veritas you know on average, I would say. Bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant that you want to go to, haven't been to yet? Travel destination. You know, probably uh, Mexico. Um, I'd like to go to Tulum. You know, there's so many places in the world. I don't know. I couldn't even say that. What about restaurants? Is there like a, a restaurant out there that like you haven't been to, but you're like, if I ever get the chance, like that's the one that I want to go to? You know, sadly, not not really. I mean, I haven't been to those, you know, you know, there's the Michelin star places that, you know, of course you want to want to go to them, but, you know, I want to, I want to find those little, those little places that were like Koseja or, you know, those kinds of neighborhood spots that you don't really get a bunch of recognition. Um, But, you know, nothing on, nothing on the radar right now. Uh, Actually, you know, there's a a Mexican place. uh, I was kind of in talks with them little bit not too much it's called um it's called sueño it's going to be opening up in dayton yeah strange place for it but the partnership is with a chef his name is jorge guzman he's a, a james beard finalist so and that's in dayton so i'm really uh, and it looks beautiful kind of excited to see what what's going on there also just like a strange location but i know about you know opening restaurants in 
weird, somewhat weird places. So, you know, I hope the best for them there though. But yeah, so I would say that's probably like the most uh, reasonable, like I'm excited to go try that somewhat, somewhat soon. Yeah, that sounds um, awesome. I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out too. That sounds, sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. What's uh, the craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you were working? Um, man, just this last year, um, this is the first thing that comes to mind. I don't know if it is the craziest thing I've seen, but just in the last year at Nada, we had, it was, it was just a hectic day. I think it was a Friday or Saturday night. So we're already, you know, you're getting ready for Friday night and something's going on. We're confing something in, in the oven, right? And I think somebody filled up the pan, filled up pan with too much oil. So this oil is coming out in the pan inside the oven. And eventually this oven catches on fire in a big, big, big fire. And the, the, uh, that oven was completely wrecked after that, but it was like so close to like shutting the kitchen down and, you know, having the fire department called, but you know, you throw enough boxes of salt at it and eventually it'll stop. So we had that fire. But then the same day we had a cook on the line, he uh, slipped and fell and hit his head on some equipment. I don't remember what it was on. It was on the corner of something with gashed him open and he, uh, he started having a seizure on the same day. Had to call 911, like, yeah, foaming at the mouth, like bad seizure, like, man, this guy might die right now, kind of bad and he was bleeding out of his head that's scary really scary stuff but that that whole day you know well just a crazy fire this dude almost died and then it's like okay guys let's get back uh back to the service yeah and that's just kind of like it's kind of shitty that that's the the restaurant industry it's just like okay let's just pull up our boots and get back to it but then it's also like that's kind of a lot of business industry so like even if, there's a lot of stuff yeah, you know, it could be, but I guess, you know, nowadays I, I feel like maybe I'll like, oh, fuck, we had a fire and, you know, you know, whatever name, I'm not going to mention his name, but, you know, fucking Joey over here almost died. Let's, let's call it a day, guys. Let's just like. Reset. He did. He, he, I'm assuming he wound up being all right. Yeah. Yeah. He did. He took like uh, some time off, but he, he wound up being all right. Cool. Uh, food or drink, guilty pleasure. Anything that like, you know, that like if you're going through like the grocery store aisles and you're like, uh, I, I got to skip that aisle because I know what's down there. And like, I'm going to grab, you know, two, three of them. Oh, um, pickles. Pickles. Okay. Like straight up, like just dill pickles, like saltier than fuck vinegary as fuck. Not just like not a well-rounded aromatic pickle with, you know, you can taste some allspice in there. No, I want like dill pickles. And a lot of them, <laughs> like, I'll eat a ridiculous amount of them. And then as far as drink goes, um, it's just coffee, just tons and tons of coffee. Uh, is there like a favorite dish or thing you've ever kind of like cooked, created that like you look back on and that's kind of like your aha moment where you knew kind of like, I can do this, like this is the moment that I figured it all out kind of thing? The, the moment that like, you figured out that you were good at cooking? Yeah. Yeah, um, I was at the top. See, and I, did, I don't even know what the hell I was doing. I was just like, they took some some pork fat and um, some gumbo filet, which is sassafras, not to be confused with saffron, sassafras, and uh, some red bell peppers, red onions, 
And I just made this like, it was very, you know, Creole or Cajun-esque kind of flavors made from like emulsified pork fat. And I just, I just kind of made it. I don't even know exactly what I did. I just kind of made this thing put over rice. And then everyone was just like, you know, what the fuck did you just make? This is like, I guarantee those people who ate that were still like, still think about that one, you know, and that's, that's what I love to do was like, they still thought just some 17 year old dude. Uh, and just, there was so much depth of flavor. I don't know if I don't think I could recreate that even like right now. I was just like, I just made something and it was just, that was one of the, you know, top 10 things I ever made for sure. Like the guys on the line were just eating it and they were like, hold on, let me go get fucking Denver. Like, what did you just, and that's what, like I said, they were calling me the condescendingly, like the prodigy or whatever. Like, I didn't even know what I was doing. I just like made the, whatever, this like vegetable stew. It was just. Any favorite, you know, I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan, uh, some people are, some people are, but do you, is there any favorite like episode or moment or scene that stands out from any of his shows? Or if not, and you were never, you know, really, is there any sort of like cooking show or cooking personality that ever kind of, you kind of gravitated towards? I mean, Anthony Bourdain's one of those, like, you know, came up from nothing and got to the top guys, you know, and an everyday kind of guy who struggled with all sorts of things. So he's like that really relatable, you know, you can see, you know, you go through those struggles daily. You know, that, I mean, as far as like celebrity chefs and personalities and, you know, Anthony Bourdain is, is that guy really. And I, and I really enjoyed, uh, you know, Andrew uh, Zimmer too, you know, the guys that really went out into like all these different places and like went through it. But as far as an episode from like no reservations, I mean, what, what is your guess? What, what what do you think my my favorite one? I, I mean, I'm going to guess you're going to guess the Waffle House scene with uh, Sean Brock and him. Of course, the Waffle House with Sean Brock. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, there's so many fantastic episodes. But yeah, the when they go to Waffle House, it's just like, I mean, you see yourself like, I, my, me as a kid, I did that. But, you know, there's like some, they were, you know, to hear them they're talking about those things, like it's, yeah, it's a shitty Waffle House, but there's also, there's something to it, you know? There's some innate cooking ability. So, like, there's no microwave in there, you know? There's some, like, there's some cooking ability that you have to possess to, you know, do something like that. So, um, yeah, definitely the Waffle House episode. Yeah. It's just self-gratifying, you know? And <laughs> yeah, where can uh, where can people find you? I mean, uh, Instagram, website, social media... Uh, yeah, uh, Instagram, um, at GL Talmadge, nothing crazy. I don't get, I don't do social media like very much. I think I posted something like a few months ago or like, you know, Facebook, I might've posted something a, a few years ago or whatnot, but then, you know, um, Gala Park, Columbus, um, do they, ha- I don't, do they have their own Instagram set up? I'm assuming they yeah. do mm-hmm. Gala Park, Columbus. Yeah, and then you guys will be open when it opens. What probably like Wednesday through Sunday, or yeah, it'll be Wednesday through Sunday. Okay, um, for uh, four o'clock to eleven o'clock Wednesday, Thursday, four o'clock to midnight on Friday and Saturday, and eleven thirty a.m. to nine o'clock on Sunday. So we'll have Sunday brunch. Okay, so you guys do do brunch on Sundays. Gotcha. And then opening, what was the opening date? Or did you have a set one yet? Or 
targeting? Tentatively, like um, next month. Okay. You know, April. A reopening, I believe, somewhere around the middle of the month. Okay. Cool. We we're hopeful for that, but there's a lot. There's a lot of work that goes into it. You know, um, and definitely not my first restaurant that I've uh, that I've opened, or my second, or my third. So I know where we are right now, and we got a lot of work to do in order to get there. But yeah, man, I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to it. That'll be cool when that opens. Definitely be in to try it. Uh, excited yeah. to to see kind of what you come up with and and your take on some of the the steakhouse dishes. So yeah, it'll be awesome. Like I said, appreciate you you coming on and doing the podcast. I know it's not always a a normal thing for you know chefs to do. And oh yeah, I mean I'm from, I mean nothing crazy, but you know we've been. I remember we were on, uh, with me and Hans, when we were at we were on uh, Dave and Jimmy in the morning, and that was a that was really uh, strange on the radio, you know, because in between breaks, it's just like, it's, uh, you know, it's crazy. Uh, like, the dynamic goes from, like, here to, like, here, and it's, like, really a weird thing. But, you yeah, know, it was definitely fun being on here with you. Yeah, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, open invitation anytime you guys, you know, change over the menu or something and you want to come back on. And even if it's just, you know, 10 minutes, just, you know, talking about new menu and what you got, like, hit me up and uh, we can get something scheduled and and we'll get it out there and everything too. So try and, you know, open invitation to anybody who comes on the podcast to to come back on, whether they got to promote stuff and it doesn't always have to be like an hour, an hour and a half or anything like that Mm -hmm. either. So cool. Yeah. All right. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again to Chef Garrett Talmadge for coming on the podcast, taking some time out, especially when he was transitioning from, you know, running a kitchen to starting to develop a menu for a brand new restaurant that's supposed to open in a couple of weeks. So uh, I know he was pretty short on time and uh, really appreciate him taking out some time to, to come on the podcast and, and chat. You know, we kind of first connected. I think he probably saw some of the stuff that we were doing and, and kind of followed. And anytime somebody follows, you know, our Instagram page, I usually take a look and see if they're in the, you know, in the food industry and if they're, you know, a chef and if they're working and then kind of try and track down if, you know, if there's no direct kind of correlation where they've worked and if I've ever had their food and and see. So that's kind of how we we first got connected. But you can follow him uh, on Instagram, like you mentioned. It's at g.l.talmage, T-L-M-A-G-E. And then the Gallup Park uh, Instagram, I think they only have like three posts. Uh, I actually looked at it this morning. It's at Gala, G-A-L-L-A, and then Park, P-A-R-K, Columbus, all one word. So you can follow along those two accounts for updates and everything. Like I said, you'll definitely see more from all the news outlets and stuff once they fully open. And, and there'll be posts on the Instagram too as well. So definitely looking forward to that. Make sure to uh, check out, you know, the other chefs and guests that we've done. So like I said, we, we've done eight before this. this is the ninth episode. We're going to be doing one every uh, week. We'll be releasing this month here. So through the rest of April, uh, every Thursday, you'll get a new chefs and guests in the feed. You don't have to subscribe, subscribe or follow any other feed or anything. It's all in the same feed. Previous episodes, you know, we had Chef Brett Fife of Ghostwriter Public House, Chef Josh Dalton of Veritas. Chef uh, Alex Seidel of Fruition, that's out in Denver. Um, Fruition, Mercantile, all them. Chef Matt Spinner up in Cleveland at Baroni. Uh, Chef BJ Lieberman over at Chapman's. Chef Jacob Inscore, who was working at Commune, but now he just recently moved to New York. So based on his Instagram that I've seen, hasn't started officially working yet in the city. So, But that's something that we're definitely keeping an eye on because I want to see kind of where he winds up and how that experience goes. 
Uh, Chef Kevin Wang uh, of Akatsuki, which is kind of like the private in-home, private catering uh, sushi experience. But he was working on a restaurant up in Cleveland too as well. I have not seen anything. I think previously he said maybe February or March, but I have not seen anything come out yet. So definitely keep an eye on that too to see what he's working on up there. And then the first one that we did with uh, Chef Jay Clevin over at Cleaver, both he and BJ, so Chapman's and Cleaver, they were in the running for kind of best new restaurant award uh, that's supposed to come out at, at some point. I think that's through Columbus Monthly. They were part of also like a, all 10 nominees did like a, a dinner or something like that too as well. So make sure to check out all those episodes. That's where I would start if you haven't listened to any of our podcasts before, if this was your first one and you want to listen to more. But uh, we do on Wednesdays, the Parts Now Known series which is me and Ben, and we just kind of watch the Parts Unknown Anthony Bourdain series, We're doing it chronologically. We're on uh, almost uh, getting ready to wrap up season four, but uh, we watch those episodes and then we just kind of recap it, give our take, and usually wind up going on tangents that have nothing to do with the episode whatsoever. So it depends kind of how good the actual episode is, kind of almost determines how good the podcast is in a way. We kind of find that usually if we hate an episode, the podcast might actually be better than if we loved an episode. It's kind of weird. And then on Mondays, I do restaurant reviews. So basically, if you've never been in the restaurant before, you know, I kind of just go through, I try and keep them between, you know, like 10 and, and 30 minutes. Sometimes they go over if it's a, a notable restaurant or chef, like uh, the one that we just did, 11 Madison Park, that was about an hour long podcast because Daniel Hum, you know, the, the chef there, chef owner, his CV, you know, his culinary career is so extensive that you just kind of have to go through it. So when you get a, a bigger, you know, bigger name chef, somebody who's won all these, you know, Michelin stars and all this different stuff, you know, and done all these interviews, you wind up getting a lot more information where sometimes if you get somebody who's in a local market, there's less publications. So there's less interviews that they did. So it's harder to, to find some, some information on some of these people. So, but uh, yeah, so restaurant reviews on Mondays, you know, it's just kind of background on, on the chef, but also kind of my experience. So a point of view experience that I had, you know, kind of what, what I liked about it, what I didn't kind of break down some of the, the different dishes. All of them are on a page on the website. So by chef. So check out the website. There's always something new going up every week, new chef profile or course breakdowns or something like that. Dish breakdowns from, you know, whether it's someplace in Columbus, like Pistachio Vera or Veritas, Cleaver, Chapman's, wherever. So, you know, we've been pretty local. So that's kind of where most of them, most of the updates are coming from, but getting some stuff through Gold Belly and a lot of restaurants have started doing, you know, direct shipping and stuff like that. So, you know, Flower Bakery and Cafe out in Boston, you can get stuff from now sent right to your doorstep and some stuff out of San Francisco too, as well, that we'll be putting a page up about too. So make sure you check out all that stuff. Like I said, check out the, you know, we try and we post any new updates really on the Instagram, but we're usually running a, a week or two behind if it's something about kind of some backstory and a link and stuff like that with, you know, on a chef 